You are listening to the Gate 7 International Podcast, a podcast connecting Olympiacos fans from Melbourne to Baltimore, from London to Piraeus. We are four Olympiacos fans from every corner of the world, bringing you news and interviews of the team you love in English. With new episodes twice a week, you'll never lose the latest updates and stories of the team you love. This is our team, our city, and our land. Man, You're listening to the Gate 7 International Podcast. Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official source for all things Olympiakos FC and Greek football. Uh, my name is Peter Thompson. Sorry if I'm going to be a bit of an emotional... Ah, we've just witnessed quite a bit of a, uh, a game here. Um, I'm here with my co-host, Adi Bulubasis. Um, we are going to chat a little bit about some transfer stuff. We're also probably going to end up talking a little bit uh, about the Euro Cup that just ended. We've just witnessed uh, one hell of a, a penalty shootout. Uh, it is confirmed not coming home, uh, as you can see from the background here. But uh, crazy, crazy stuff in football. I uh, have to hand it to both teams for an insane, insane uh, game. Both both uh, great, great competitors. But uh, we'll get into that a little bit. If you guys have something you want to hear us talk about, feel free to jump in the comments and uh, give us uh, give us some thoughts, whether it's about the game, whether it's about Olympiacos. We've already got F Italy. Uh, I'm being told to change the flag. I will not be changing the flag. <laughs> England won, maybe I wouldn't have the flag up, but I mean... No, it, the, it, the it, best it, thing for the sport happened, which was an England loss. The best thing for the sport happened. Guys. <laughs> That's We'll, 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 we'll feel, get into that a little I bit I feel later, a little but. bit bad for Costa, so I'm going to not, you know, I always say like, there's, I, I got what I wanted already. I'm not going to be, you know, too boisterous here, but tears, the English journalist tears do taste good. We, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, anyway, a few intro notes as we always do have, uh, remember everyone, we have a friendly coming up for Olympiacos. Uh, this one's against Galatasaray. If you missed the friendlies in Austria, which were a bit hard to get your hands on, to be fair, they will be available on mega. So, um, or the, the Galatasaray finally will be available on Mega. So that one might be a bit easier to watch, and we'll probably see a pretty strong team, at least for the first half. So it might be worth tuning in, seeing what we're going to be looking at with Olympiacos next season, and uh, getting a preview at some of our new players. Additionally, uh, Philip Vonk, the head coach of Olympiacos DC, will be coming on next weekend, Sunday, July 18th, to chat about the Olympiacos DC Academy, what the project is about, coaching philosophy, all that fantastic stuff. Uh, we would, we're going to say it more, but we'll, we would like to congratulate him uh, for a fantastic first season, really. Um, absolutely smashing expectations and laying the groundwork for a lot of good things to come. So we're really, really excited uh, to see what he's got for us. And then uh, I believe we also have a note about AHEPA, Adi's favorite organization for promoting Greeks and Hellenism around the world. Boys and girls. Well, actually, AHEPA technically is for guys. The girls organization is Daughters of Penelope. So uh, either one, check out your local chapter. Go to HEPA.org if you guys want to do something or be involved in any type of uh, diaspora volunteering or things that go on to support the motherland, check it out. Go to HEPA.org or DM me if you're trying to look to find where a chapter could be for you. Hit me up and I'll help you find that. There you go. You heard it here. Additionally, we would like to say thank you to our sponsor, Piraeus International. Piraeus International has been helping Greece ship to and from the motherland during COVID-19. Shipments to Greece are going out from Baltimore, Maryland every month. Fill any large U-Haul box, 18 by 18 by 24, send it to our friends in Baltimore, and it will be shipped to the Port of Piraeus for only 50 bucks. Better yet, fill any large wardrobe box and send it for $100. Give them a call at 410-675-4696 or send an email to sales at piraeusintl.com. So we've got a little bit of Olympiacos transfer news. Well, we'll jump into that stuff. If people want to hear about the Euros, we'll talk about that as well. Um, but I mean, the first one, maybe we can talk about Adi and, and uh, the name is Marcus Edwards. Ironically, uh, this is an English player, although he's not playing in the Premier League or anything. He's playing in Portugal. 
Uh, and he's currently with uh, Guimarães, Vitoria Guimarães, which, if you'll recall, is the team that we bought Pepe from. Uh, it is also one of the teams that Pedro Martins previously coached at. So maybe this is just being speculated because of the relations with the club, and it's sort of just like Greek press, you know, boosting stuff up. But he's a talented young winger from England. To be honest with you, Adi, um, partially because of the English tax, as I like to call it, as well as just the fact that he's young and he is very good. Uh, and he came from the Tottenham Academy, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. I think this guy's out of our price range, to be honest. Yep. I'm not really taking this too seriously. Um, nope. But, of course, it's the type of thing that gets in the English press. Um, you know, a talented English player. These boys with Marcus Rashford and all the, the young English guys that were on the pitch today. Um, so it's definitely, you know, the type of rumor to get the attention of the Greek press. But I don't really take it that seriously. Neither do I. It's If we're struggling to pay for Pavon, the seven and a half million for Pavon, there's no way we're paying what's his, it's 10 million, I think was the price tag or something like that. That's, for, forget that's it. his transfer market value is higher yeah. than that as well. Yeah, it's um, not, it's not happening. It's so. not happening. But speaking of 10 million. Oh, Adi, our, you've got a big transfer for us, don't you hear? Our ex code of the season has just made a move to Sporting Lisbon for $10 million. Ruben Vinagre, boys and girls, our coat of the season, is in Portugal. He has signed for Sporting. Good luck to you there. And uh, I hope that they don't have to witness what we witnessed in Greece. I saw they, they tweeted something out, and they were like, the lion is here. <laughs> I think we all had a good laugh about that. I Hilarious. think it was Lambro or maybe Lambro through the official account posted like a little stuffed lion. I was trying to find um, like a lion skin coat, you know, like a, a coat with like lion fur or whatever. But I guess that's it's probably a good thing they don't make those because it's probably like illegal poaching or whatever. Um, Spados asks, Ruben is on loan. No, they've bought him. He's a sporting player now. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's uh, he's made the big move. He's left Wolves. Maybe he's going to do it in Portugal. We'll see what happens with him. Um, another small note that we have uh, with news is a reminder that uh, we will be finding out our first Champions League opponent soon. Uh, that's going to be one of Dynamo Tbilisi and Nefci Baku. Uh, those are two teams from Georgia and Azerbaijan, respectively, that are currently facing off in the first leg. So they will play next week. Um, they got done with their match in the first week, and I might be mistaken, but I believe uh, Baku took the first leg two to one. Uh, Adi, correct me if I'm wrong on that. But either way, uh, we'll be seeing who we will be facing, and we should know uh, by the end of next week. Reminder that away goals do not matter. Um, I couldn't tell you who's at home for that first game, and it doesn't matter. Um, because you know if, if the second fixture goes the other way, it'll be extra time and penalties. Uh, in wherever the game will be played. So as soon as we figure out who we're going to have, we're going to start getting some scouting stuff ready. Adi's going to go through the Y scout data as he always does. Um, so we'll see. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, Adi, we can start off. We have a deep dive coming up, uh, but maybe the first thing we can start off with is some Euros talk. We've got a comment here, Gareth Fraudgate. Now, we have to say, like, I, I think maybe we just start with the penalties I, I'm I'm a sucker for a good penalty shootout, Adi. I don't know how you oh, feel yeah. about it. I, I think we can all acknowledge it's a bit of a coin flip. Yeah, uh, in terms is. of deciding who's actually the better team, maybe it's not the best tool, but like, damn it, if it doesn't get your blood pumping, like, oh my goodness. It does. So, um, and it, it's it's obviously very simple to analyze as well. Like we think about, it's just a, a striker versus a, or a penalty taker versus a keeper. Um, Jordan Pickford made a couple massive saves. We really have to say that like he was, he was in his bag, um, stopping some of those shots. The Jorginho one was especially impressive. And what it shows me is Jorginho is the type of player you have to really watch a lot and figure out. Yep. So, you know, we can tell that Jordan Pickford's been on the Y scout. He's been putting in those hours, looking at Jorginho's penalties and he knew exactly what he wanted to do and made a really nice save just got enough hand on it to, to take it out. But at the end of the day, the story is going to be England. Three players to make three penalties. At the end of the day, they only had to make one of those three ultimately to you know keep themselves in the game. And they missed three in a row. And uh, you know, Southgate is is coming under fire now because you know, I to be fair, I'm not a professional footballer. I've never like been in the penalty shootouts. 
I honestly, I, I guess it's probably Southgate saying who does what, but I could also see a situation where it's the players uh, deciding who wants to take a penalty. But there are a few things that I think was weird, but I think were weird uh, with the ordering here. Um, first of all, I'm generally of the thought that you have your last penalty taker go last or your best penalty taker go last. Um, you know, especially someone who's not going to get, you know, scared by the moment. And I don't, I think Bukayo Saka is going to get scared by the moment as no disrespect to him as a player. Has he ever taken a penalty in a real game? Does he take penalties for Arsenal? Adi, I, I don't know. I haven't seen him take one yet. So, but to be fair, this past year, I haven't watched as much. Arsenal no, that's as fair. Well. But I, like, have in the past. I think it would, it's mostly a bummer Yang for them. Maybe, I don't know if they had penalty shootouts in Europa League at any point. I don't think they did. Um, no. My my point here is that like he's 18 years old. He's a fantastic talent. He's a great player. He seems like a nice kid. But why are you throwing him up there? Maybe it's maybe it's Saka begging to take the penalty. Maybe right? We don't know. Um, but Raheem Sterling, your experienced goal scoring winger who scored a few goals leading up to this game in the tournament, not taking one. Bit weird, Adi. A bit weird. I really thought it was going to be Sterling to take that fifth one, and when Saka started rocking up there to the penalty spot, I was very surprised. Weird to me all around. It's whether it's Southgate making weird picks, whether it's Sterling being a little weenie and not wanting to take one at the cost of his team. Um, I I don't know what it, I don't know what happened. So I mean, I know in the penalty situations I've been involved in, at, at least at club level and the various competitions I was involved in, you generally, the coaches I had generally picked whoever wanted to do the penalties first, because first of all, you don't want a guy that's like, uh, because if you don't, if you're not, right. you're not confident to take it, you're probably going to, you're going to miss. Yeah. So you, you usually as a coach go with the guy that wants to take the kick or to, you know, take that. Now I can't, uh, I can't speak to what Gareth Southgate's, you know, what, what he was thinking or what was going on. Probably Saka wanted to do it. You know what I mean? He was probably, you know, he wanted, he stepped up. But, but, it, but do you think it's Southgate's responsibility to be like, yes, hold yes. your horses. You know yes. what I mean? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. It should have been him to be like, no, hold on. You know what I mean? Or at least if he was going to have Saka go, go, go maybe first. earlier. First you is know what not I mean? as, like I, I I get the argument that like yes if you make your first penalty like you're really in a good spot and but I'm sorry the last one is the most important one. You want yep. Harry Kane standing on that. Yep. Like always Tottenham always a bottle or joke all you want. You want Harry Kane standing on that penalty. And if you yep. it's not him you probably want Sterling who didn't take one at all. So maybe you don't want Sterling. Maybe Sterling didn't want to take one. And like you said Adi if you don't want to take one you really shouldn't be taking one. Um yep. weird. Weird all around. Uh, but I mean, the game overall, um, I would say was pretty even in general. I think Italy maybe looked a bit better in the game, especially that second half, um, extra time. I think Chiesa coming off hurt them quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, he was really just bumming up the pitch for them and, and, uh, he looked really hard to stop. We have to say he's been great all tournament. Um, England obviously got a great start with the goal. I was worried. Uh, you know, I, I saw a, I saw a scenario where things went really south from there. But uh, I think by the time it was the end of the first half, they looked like they'd really cooled off. Well, the, the thing with England was that the lot, when, they, when they started, right, definitely their tactics shift. The three, at the, the three center backs, the three at the back with, you know, the 3-4-3 three, three they were playing, we'll say. Uh, it definitely threw Italy for a spin because they were able to clog the midfield up very well with Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips, who both did had great games. I mean, they were doing their job, utter workhorses there. And for and what it's having, well, and having Harry Kane too, given the freedom to drop back because he's a great holdup player as a striker. Well, you don't see yeah, that a lot. A few things I do want to credit England for, especially in the first half. Yeah, Harry Kane. Um, Look, I don't watch a whole ton of Premier League football. I probably watch Harry Kane play like three or four times a year, maybe, right? But um, he really has evolved as a player in terms of his ability to come deeper into the field and make things for others. Like, he was doing that really well. 
he didn't get the ball a whole lot over the course of the mm-hmm. game. I don't think he had a single shot, Adi, but nope. um, when he did have the ball, he looked all right. We have to give that to him. Uh, and also, yeah, the midfield was really solid. Uh, Rice and Phillips. Um, the back line, I think, is also good. Luke Shaw has had a great season. I think Kyle Walker is probably one of the most underrated players for this England team as well, working as both a third center back and then a real right back. I think he's been fantastic all tournament long. Um and I think that 3-4-3 is really the best formation for England, given the players that yep. they have. I think it's the best formation for them. Yeah, I, I mean, look, it it worked in the beginning. They definitely had Italy off balance. They got that goal. Maybe a little bit of luck there with the deflection on the, off the post, but whatever. You know, it happened. It was a great play. Um, shocking defending from Italy. First of all, Emerson is no Spinazzola. It has How did he sad. last the whole 90 minutes? I can. I, I was no I cannot idea. Believe- and the thing is, like, I once again, I'm not an expert on like these these clubs. Like, if you don't play in Greece, I probably don't watch you play that much. But um, surely Florenzi like could have come in and done a job. I didn't even know he was in the team. Well, Emerson injury. was tragic. But remember, Florenzi was injured after that first game, oh, and they right. probably were concerned. He, oh, he came in at the right, very right, right, end. Right, right. Yeah. So, okay. Fair enough. I forgot. Yeah. About that. I mean. Look, it was tough. Emerson grew into the game, especially in the second half, a lot better. Well, but he's he was fine tragic. attacking. Attacking, yeah. he's fine. But, oh, but yeah. he was tragic defensively. Absolutely yeah. tragic. And then for the once once that initial shock wore off and the half wore on, England just seemed okay to pack it in and just sit. And they let Italy get on the ball. And Italy then went, once they got the taste of possession and moving the ball around, the thing, the, the mistake Italy made was trying to force the ball constantly down the left side of the field. They were forcing it over there. And, and I mean, with, with guys like Verratti making runs, Insigne, and even Immobile. But Immobile had a tragic, tragic, tragic game. Yeah, was I was disappointed, horrible. to be honest. So horrible. Really disappointed. And what they should have been doing, and they did, and especially – towards the end of the se- the first half and in the second half was look right now the guy that's making the most happen is Chiesa. Chiesa could almost not put a foot wrong. I mean, he was making great moves, really 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 threatening the English defense and they then were sticking with that. When he got hurt, it was then it was like, "All right, well, who's going to step up? Who's going to be able to do that? Uh, do what he's doing." Some of the changes that they made, I mean, Look, I, I think Italy was playing for for the a penalty shootout at some point because you could definitely I think as soon as was, Chiesa got hurt, they were. The, yeah, I mean, I it was it was like Costa was saying in the in the group chat. You know, just from the outset, Donnarumma is a better penalty a penalty keeper. Of course, as soon as he said that, that's when Pickford <laughs> blocks the first, makes his first block. I was like, you jinx! But anyway, uh, yeah. So that the game plan, like I will say that Gareth Southgate at least got those tactics right and caught Italy out. But I do find it ironic, and I texted this right before the penalties and right before uh, extra time started. Um, I find it ironic that England plays with five defenders and packs the box and parks the bus with less than 30% possession during the game. And it's tactical genius. It's it's ingenuity, innovative. But Greece does it and wins a cup against not just not just like mid you know mid mid table countryside. England, you know, not England just Czech had, Republic. England had and a cakewalk. Greece had to exactly. play all the good teams. Greece played the top teams at the time, not just in Europe but in the world. Okay, and they and they and we won the Euro Cup. So. It, the the utter the utter hypocrisy just was from Ian Dark was mind boggling. Not that I'm saying Ian Dark negatively comments towards Greece, but but hearing that and and hearing them talk about this tactical ingenuity from England when all we heard when when Greece won the Euro was that we were destroying the game. That's absolute bullshit, and it's ridiculous. If England had won this, I I would not have allowed any pundit or fan to say anything about negative about your 2004 because you can't so in the end like i said the best thing for the sport happened england lost because the last thing we needed was the their pundits their media their fans to be even more pompous than they already are having won almost nothing but anyway i mean adi this is why i root against them and I'm, this is why I'm not surprised. Like this, this is the same people who say things like, "Oh, Olympiacos would be just good enough to stay up in the Premier League," yeah. and like, "Oh yeah, uh, Bukharakis, he was 
an average player in the championship, probably not very good, probably can't do it for Greece, like all of this crap. Um, this it pisses me off as well. All of the yep. people tweeting it's coming home when England won like a game against in the round of 16. It can't be coming home when it's never been there. <laughs> Shout you know out Casper Smichael for saying that. I tell you what, I tell you what, you know what? Fine. They can take the cup. It can go home and they can bring the Parthenon marbles back. How about that? Those should be coming home. Not this cup that never belonged there in the first place. Cause they've never won it. Win yeah, it first, earn phone. it, yeah. you know, earn it first. And then it, you can say it's coming home, but it's not, you've never won it. So how can it go home? It's nonsense. Utter oh, nonsense. Adi, it's not the cup that's coming home. It's football. Football is coming what? home. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. It's coming the, home. The game, it's coming home. Yeah, and you know what just came home to them? The Golden Bootso did. So they can have fun. They can enjoy that. The Golden Bootso like, very much did come home to them. There was a really sad statistic that they posted before the game. Um, uh, the organ, the nonprofit organization, it's a domestic abuse nonprofit, and they posted that when England plays in the country, domestic abuse goes up 26%. When oh, England plays, God. and when they lose, it goes up 30, 36%. So, oh, God. Horrible statistic. And now with that in mind, like, the one thing I thought about when England lost was shit. That's another, like, 10% of domestic abuse cases. That's, like, a 10% increase in those cases tonight because of that. It's a terrible Jesus. statistic. Uh, I hope that that is false and very much overstated because if that's true, that's disgusting. England fans, uh, but anyway, just go to bed. Just go to bed. Yeah, don't, just go to bed. Also, bed. they closed. They closed um, our fellow our fellow colleagues. I'll say in the podcast network. Uh, one of them has a sister that was working in Wembley for the game, and she had mentioned to him uh, in a text that they were shutting down within a five mile radius any any licensed bar or alcohol serving in place establishment. As soon as the final whistle was over, that was it. Done. Everybody Dude, had to London, go. London would have like, I mean, it might still fall if they tonight, but like London would have fallen if England won. Like oh, Big yeah. Ben would have burned down. Like Jesus, did God. you see? Did you see the videos of them storming? They didn't have enough stewards. Yeah, it was crazy before the game as well. Like <laughs> they said that it was like yourselves. 75 percent capacity. I'm pretty sure every seat in that stadium was full. Every single one. There were, yeah. People definitely stormed their way in. I'm glad. Well, I only saw like a, a, a couple people were hurt. Thank God it wasn't more. Uh, anyway, that's not, not much you can not much you can do about that. Hopefully, there were no more people that got hurt. Anyway, all in all, don't want to take away from what we what we did see in the Euro Cup final. It was a good final overall. It was very entertaining, and the drama really towards the end. Uh, especially with the penalties. I'm still like my, my heart is still racing from watching that lovely, lovely, lovely. And uh, I hope, you know, maybe I hope the world cup has the same drama uh, anyway. Uh, Just without England involved, preferably. Uh, exactly. Or if they can keep losing, like I don't ever want to see them win anything in my life until I see a big dose of humble pie from the, their pundits and fans. And you know, that's not coming because Yep. I'm waiting for the Steve Pierce. Like I'm I'm waiting for the You did it again. Steve next. Pierce is an Orioles legend. I mean, sorry, Steve. Oh my god. Amazing I do it all pinch hitter. Don't disrespect do. that man. James I literally Pierce James Pierce. About. I do it every time. I'm waiting for the James Pierce nonsense. James right? Pierce is gonna be like, they should have left Jordan Henderson on. Yeah. The, Jordan the Henderson, the, the like kicking it out of bounds merchant, like doing yeah. nothing good for anyway. Um R ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Well, Adi. On a on a lighter note here, I think you've got a deep dive for us. Uh, I do, and it's not just any deep dive because you know sometimes we do deep dives when it's like oh the news is heating up. Um, but this player, uh, he's in Greece. We have the the patented pictures with the Olympiakos mask in the airport. Lambro unfortunately could not make it. He was watching the Euros with his friends, uh, and we do not blame him for that. But uh, it's Thomas Vatlik, folks, a player that we saw in this tournament, played very well for the Czech Republic, coming to us on a free transfer from Sevilla. He's in Greece. He's going to be playing for Olympiakos. Sa's departure is all but official, it seems, at this point. Um, but, Adi, 
I'm going to let you get into it. You've got a big old deep dive for us, and it looks like you've got some comparisons uh, with Jose Sa as well, uh, the player that's that correct. replacing. Yeah, that's correct, guys. So Vajic is here. He's going to be obviously our new number one now that Jose Sa is leaving. Uh, there's been we there's been a lot of talk about him before we actually brought him in, and uh, I wanted to definitely. I'm not as good with deep dives with goalkeepers. Again, guys, you heard Nico Poledi in the interview. Goalkeeping is a different animal compared to, you know, the field position play. Uh, so hopefully I did my best. I'm relying a lot more on the data here. I watched the film, uh, but again, I'm not good at judging because I never played the position. I'm not good at judging what is and isn't comfortable in certain situations. Uh, but there was a lot of concern. Um, I don't want to say a lot, actually. Most people are really positive about this. We did have a handful of people that were concerned about the Vatrick transfer, both in uh, you know the English and Greek social media circles. So I'll just get right into it. So Vatrick, he's we're looking at 188 centimeters tall, six foot two. He's got a wingspan that that's comparable to about the the top third. So he's got a pretty large wingspan as well, comparable to about the top third of wingspans among goalkeepers in Europe. Uh, he weighs about 100, almost 190 pounds, 187 pounds, which is 87 kilos for the metric folks. Um, anyway, when it comes to data, uh, you guys watched him in the Euro Cup. He was fantastic. He was great. So his 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 total data just for the Euro Cup, uh, 18 total shots against, 14 saves. He allowed four goals. 11 of those saves were reflex saves. Now, what is a reflex save? A reflex save is literally a save in which the goalkeeper has to make a save either at very close distance or has about a, less than a second of reaction time to make a save. So most of the shots against him required reflex reflex saving or reflex action to save. So you like to see that. the His expected conceded goal metrics, so the expected goals that you would are will say is proper for him to have conceded five and a half. He only conceded four. So he's, he was under, we like that metric. It's good. That means he's saving more than he's allowing in. Um, he had seven exits exits. Uh, that's a metric when the goalkeeper leaves his line to either make a save, deflect across a corner, things like that. So he had seven of those and he was averaging three and a half, almost three and a half shots per game against, which is one of the higher, um, average shots per game against in this tournament. So he saw a lot of volume against him and did well to, to bat it out or, or save against it. Uh, against While he was playing for Sevilla, we all know that last year he didn't really play that much. Um, the he, he played, I think, like 1,300 total minutes, so he didn't play many games at all. Uh, 24 total shots against him. Eight goals conceded. Uh, an expected goal conceded metric of 8.7 so he was still under that just slightly but under it still 16 total saves and eight reflex so half of those were reflex save again seven exits but averaging almost four shots against per game so again the volume is high when he's in goal he's been seeing a lot of that so he, he's not just sitting there playing for a great team that's always on the ball uh he he's used to to pressure he's used to getting it against them uh, so you like to see that. Now, the season before, he played a lot more for Sevilla. Uh, we know that. He was he was the starter then. Uh, he 121 total shots against him that season. 85 saves. 38 of those 85 were reflex saves. He conceded 36 goals with an expected goal conceded um, total of 32. So a little higher than that. That means he was letting in probably a few soft. Uh, and some of those few softies, were you know some of them were bad deflections i did watch all of them some were bad deflections uh, off of his defenders some uh, i i wouldn't really say were necessarily his fault couple maybe the positioning was a little off but all in all not too bad the goals the goals that he conceded that were of the very low xg were against like barcelona and atletico madrid so against top clubs not like minnows and and he doesn't usually let stuff in that he shouldn't uh just to be clear. Uh, now, so then the question is, a lot of people were like, well, when Jose Sa came in, Jose Sa was a much better prospect for us. So I looked into that to see if that was true and compare Jose Sa's metrics to this. So take into consideration everything I just told you, just metrics-wise. Forget what we've seen of him playing. Just take the metrics. Uh, Jose Sa, before he came to Olympiacos in the two seasons prior, um, 44 total shots against, 
31 saves, 16 reflex saves. He conceded 13 goals with an expected conceded goal metric of 10.28. So that means he conceded about 30% more than was expected based on the shots against him. That's not too good, okay? That's not any worse than what we see with Vachlik here, okay? Because here, we in 2019, he conceded uh, four more goals than his expected, but it was only 10%, you know, if we're looking in proportions. Saz was a little bit higher than that coming in. So this isn't, this really isn't that much different than what Saad looked like coming in. And there's a couple caveats I'll get into after this. The question we're looking at is, can he replace what Sa has done since he got here, which has been tremendous? Three seasons at Olympiacos, Jose Sa has had 235 shots against him. He's made 189 saves, 88 of those reflex saves, conceded only 45 goals in those three years with an expected conceded goal metric of 64.32. That means the number of opportunities should have tallied 64, but he saved 19 more than he probably should have. So the question is, based on what we've seen, is Vachlik going to translate? Are we going to see that? Well, when we brought Jose Sayan, it was similar to what we're seeing now with Vachlik. Now, here's the, here's some of the differences. Here's some things that we see when he plays uh, that match up with Jose Sa. Jose Sa, we know, isn't really good with the ball at his feet. That's been one critique we've all had. Well, Vachlik, having spent some time in Spain... He's a way, and you saw in the Euro too, guys, he's way better with the ball at his feet. So uh, that's one thing that we'll be able to add to our goalkeeper repertoire that we didn't have with Sa is that we didn't have a guy that could play well. Now, his positioning is good. Uh, so one thing with Sa, Sa is very eccentric, very vocal. Um, positioning has always been really good. He's been very aggressive. Vachlik will clear his line, or at least based on what we've seen from the number of exits, he clears his line at a similar rate as Jose Sa does. He might not be as, as eccentric as him, but he is comfortable and he knows when he has to clear the line. It's difficult for me to determine leadership, though, because I see on the set pieces he's very vocal with what he wants and positioning people. But in open play, I don't see him yelling as much. So it may, it may be a case where we're relying on the center back to do that. So something to bear in mind. So if we start to see some disconnects in the in the defensive line, something that that might be an issue. So keep that in mind as we see Vochlik play for us. Um, and then lastly, I just wanted to address one thing because people keep getting stuck on Vochlik's wingspan and height uh, as like a determinant of his potential ability for us. I see. Uh, I've seen. More than a, almost a dozen, a dozen people that were commenting on all social medias, hey, his wingspan is a little bit lower than guys like Thibaut Courtois and, you know, so-and-so, or even like Peter Cech. Sorry, and, people, we're not getting Thibaut Courtois this summer. Yeah, and and but even even so, even beyond that, even height, they're like, oh, if he's, if he's not 190 centimeters, if he's not 6'3", basically, he can't be a good goalkeeper. I have no idea where any of this is coming from. There is zero, and trust me, I spent the time to put the data together. There is zero correlation between height and wingspan and whether or not you're a good goalkeeper. And I want to remind everybody, one of the best goalkeepers to play the game, he's considered one of the best to ever play, Iker Casillas, is not even six feet. All right? And he has the shortest wingspan, especially when he was playing, one of the shortest wingspan of goalkeepers. Guillermo Ochoa is not that big. And Guillermo Ochoa is a great goalkeeper as well. I don't know where this came from, but there is zero correlation between height and wingspan and goalkeeping ability. You are just as likely to have a great goalkeeper that's good and under 6'2 or 6'3 as you are that's over. I have no idea where that came from, but it's wrong. Yeah, one, well, a few things just going over what you said, uh, Adi. First of all, I'll stick with the, the height and wingspan. Didn't you say at the beginning that he's above average in, in both of those uh, those things? You said he was... You know, like six two is not short. It's not. No, it's it's not. He's I mean, not I okay. He's not. Some he's leagues. not Donnarumma. Like Donnarumma right. is a mountain of a man, and like we saw, you know how good you know how good it is to have that extra reach. Obviously, that extra reach helps. But as Adi said, yep. there are a lot of good keepers you can make up for that with quick reflexes, which Vachlik, you know, we hope to see that. 
Um, like Jordan Pickford is is the other end of the spectrum from uh, Donnarumma as well. And we saw both of them do quite well in the penalty shootout today and do quite well this entire Euros tournament. Pickford's mm-hmm. by goalkeeper concern, um, by goalkeeper stand uh, standings, he's a runt. No disrespect, but he's a runt with T Rex arms. We have to say that, and he's still a good goalkeeper. At least, I mean, he's not great with the ball, but like he's good at you know reaching and saving, and because he's got great reflexes. So like it's not impossible to to be a great goalkeeper um, if you're not six five. And Vachlik is six two. That's that's completely fine, folks. Um, another thing, Adi, I wanted to to talk about. And I have two points actually. Um, you compared Vachlik and Sa, which is obviously we're going to do that. But I think one point to make as well is when we got Sa, he was twenty five. Uh, and Vachlik is now 32. That is definitely something that we need to bring up in terms of like how they're going to project. Like it's not surprising that we saw Sa get better. And that expected goals conceded stat is absolutely nutty, by the way. I didn't even know that, but that was that's that's absolutely crazy. Um, not really surprising, but like that's that's elite numbers from him. But you know, Vachlik is 32, which is not that old for a keeper. We're going to get a few good years out of him, but it just means we're probably not going to see big elevation in performance. Third thing that I want to bring up. Um, and this is sort of with respect to the point you brought up, Adi, about leadership slash communication slash all that. We've seen it before with the back line. Be patient, Olympiacos fans. Be patient with this guy. If he plays a couple games and lets in a goal because there was a miscommunication with Socrates or with Andruzos or something like that, don't flip, uh, don't flip out. We saw this last year with the new defenders coming in. Socrates needed a little bit of time to adjust. He's not, he's never been a bad defender, but with the set pieces, the guys need to read each other's minds and that doesn't happen immediately. With this zono marking, the players need to know where the, they all are and where they need to be. And with the keeper, it's a little bit different, but you still need to have that connection with your back line. And some of that can be done by talking, but some of it is just innate. You know, your defender is going to know if you're coming out for this. They don't need to hear it. They're going to know with Saw. They know Saw's coming out to get that. That has to be developed, especially if Vachlik is maybe a little bit less aggressive. Saw's an above-average aggressive keeper. He likes to come out, sometimes even when he shouldn't, and knock that ball away, which is not a bad thing. It's much better than being afraid and, you know, getting stuck in no man's land and conceding a goal. But um, Vachlik is going to need to adjust the defenders are going to need to adjust to playing with him. So if he eats a couple weird goals on set pieces or, you know, something like that, when the ball is sort of rolling around the box and ends up in the back of our net, don't lose your shit. It's going to take a few games for him to get integrated with the team. And it's completely normal. And we saw it last year with the set pieces. It's not a long-term problem. Yep. No. So we're going to have to have some patience, but fortunately he's coming early. You know, uh, so he's going to be coming a little bit early on and he should have plenty of time. Oh, yeah, that's that's what I mean. Uh, So he'll have plenty of time to gel with the team to or to communicate with the back line or at least learn how to communicate with the back line. And I don't think that'll be too much of a problem. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens going on. But I'm again, I always do this with the deep dives. Am I positive on this guy? Do I think he's going to pan out? Yes, I'm positive because, and I'm going to echo something Costa said on previous podcasts and in our group chat. I think at the very least, he he even if he's not, let's say, better than Jose Sa, he is at the very least there. We 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 at least ver- moved laterally with this. You know, even if we didn't get somebody that's better, we got somebody that's just as good. With the caveat that he's better with the ball at his feet, so. And Adi, I, I think guess it's that, as good as we can expect. Right. And and so I think I know what you're going to say, but usually we do the deep dives and the player hasn't signed yet. But, you know, yep. we you get the question of, Adi, do you do you sign the player? Do you want him to come in at this price or whatever? Um, yeah. He's on big wages. He just had a good Euros, but I'm pretty happy with this one. Um, what do you think? Yep. So we ha- we still haven't gotten confirmation what his actual wages are. Yeah. Uh, but even if we do pay him more than we've paid any other goalkeeper in the past, let's assume it's that stupid sky high figure of two point five million. Let's assume it's that high, which I don't think it is. I think it might just be two or close to two. I think it's worth it because we're we're pushing we're pushing as a club, as an as a team, we are pushing beyond the limits of what of what Greece has right now, despite what. 
Ike, Bauk, Adis, Panathinaikos are doing. Our sites are are Mount Olympus guys. They're down here. We're looking at the Cody fee. And that's the truth. In order to do that, and in order for us to, to really cement ourselves and continue growing as an international club, an international brand, this is the type of thinking we have to have. And we're not talking about, oh, making spending money on transfers. No, that these aren't mutually exclusive things. Okay. You can make good transfers, but still be it, but still have a sustainable budget. And we do. We have a sustainable budget. We're getting great deals for players. He's look, he's coming in on for, for a free. We might pay him higher wages, but we're not paying a fee. So you take one with the other. And this is the type of business we have to do. We'll probably end up selling them off. And that's it. That's what we got to do. And that's exactly it. I mean, we're going to get money in for saw plus a sell on potentially. That's another you know question. Even if the money isn't what we want, we talked about this on previous episodes, like we want more than 10 million, whatever. We can basically reallocate that to pay off Vachlik's contract or a good portion of it. Um, you know, the traditional way of thought would be you allocate that to sign a goalkeeper and you say, okay, we just got X dollars for saw. We're going to spend that on a new player. Um, it's, it's just sort of different. It's like an FM. You drag the little, the little budget bar over a a little bit over to wages. It's not a big deal. It's very easy to do. Yep. And it seems like we knew that like a free transfer is a good bargain. This is a player with an international resume. People know who he is after this tournament. I think it really, I think it's, it's it's really good. I like this move a lot. I think for for both, um, you know, people knowing the club and also as a player, I think this is really good. Yep, I agree one hundred percent. This is look, guys. We have made we have made some pretty solid moves. Like forget the forget the Tequino injury, uh, bringing in Vochlik, uh, You know, looking some of the other players we've been you know bringing in. Like oh well, I should say the the introduction of. Markovic, who looks like he's going to be a, a part of the team. Chumich, look at what's coming together. Some of the youth products. Uh, Apostolopoulos, I don't think he'll be part of the first team this year, to be perfectly honest with you, well, which is these, why we're looking at a left back. It's these moves that we made two years ago, and they're now coming to fruition. You know, they sort of go under the radar. I mean, not exactly. for people like us, because we're like, oh, Markovic breathed in Serbia today. Let's do a deep dive. But like, <laughs> um, you know, like this stuff has been in the works and we're probably going to, you know, we've signed a couple players uh, this summer that you might not hear about on the first team this year, but then they're going to pop up in the future and it's going to be like, oh, who is this guy? And we can sell him on for eight to 10 million euros. That is that is Marinaki's masterclass in terms of, of economics, in terms of business, in terms of sustainable uh, transfers and wages for the club. Yep, it definitely is. And we did get a we did get a question from Greg Sirachi on Twitter. Um, how would you guys assess the transfer activity of all clubs in the Greek Super League so far? Has the league overall improved with incoming talent this window? Will we see better competition from clubs like Ofi? And how do you assess our rivals' transfers like Panathinaikos, Bak, Ike, Adis, etc.? So, look, um, I think it goes without saying. First of all, the moves we've made as a club, we also have right now more resources with our with how we've done in Europe. But um, it's going to be it's expected that we should still outperform. But remember, guys, there are some good coaches now that are here. All right, there are some solid, solid coaches that have come in to to do work in the Greek Super League, and for for the resources available to. Uh, to teams like Balk, Ike, and Adis and Panathinaikos, I think they've made, or at least some of them have made some pretty good, uh, pretty good moves. Uh, now, remember, guys, Balk is getting it's like seven, it's seven million euro they're getting from from the Yanulis transfer because Norwich got promoted, so it was a it was a mandatory, um, what do they call that, uh, obligation to buy if they got promoted. So they're getting the 7 million from there and they've started making moves. They started with two free, a couple of free transfers. Uh, they got, they took Nelson Oliveira from Ike, which I think is a great move for them. I think he, uh, he didn't do super well at Ike this past season, but I think he'll do well under Luchescu. Luchescu, remember Luchescu, the title winning coach for Pauk is back. All right. And he is a good coach. He is a really good coach. So, Oh, Nelson Oliveira under him, I think they do. 
I think they're going to uh, do quite well in addition to what's our, what they already have if they don't lose any important pieces. Uh, and then they also brought in a guy from Nipro for free, uh, Lucas Taylor for right back, which is another position where they suffered a bit from. So they've made a couple of moves plus Zimas from Asteras Tripoli. I don't know the fee. I know it was cheap though, like something like five or eight hundred k. Transfers like that are always like bargains. Yeah, you always but, get you always get your money's worth. Or but Zimas is a good player. He's a and he's twenty years old. So I think that's a that was a good move by Balk. So Balk Balk hasn't regressed in my opinion. Uh, I think I think that they've. Uh, that they've improved at the very least. Yeah, well, I mean, you say that, but we'll see if they uh, sell all their young players right before the end of the European qualification again, <laughs> like they did last yeah. year. But no, yeah. in all seriousness, uh, I totally agree with you. I think, to be honest, I haven't paid that much attention to like the lower teams, but, you know, Balk, Ike, Jonathan Echos, uh, they seem to be bringing in players that are going to make those teams better. They seem to be addressing you know, where they need to get help and bring the right player in, or at least the right position in. Um, and of course, Luchescu being back, obviously, you know, Pablo Garcia, you will be missed. My friend, always good fun when Pablo Garcia is uh, coaching Pauk, but Luchescu is a serious coach. Uh, he's won before. And uh, yeah, I think we should still win the league, right? You know, I'm going to yep. be pissed if we don't, but Yep. Will it be by 30 points? Maybe not. Will Pauk do something in the conference league? Maybe yep. uh, we'll be rooting for them, right? Like we need the coefficient yeah. points. Um, well, well, even Ike, uh, Ike, remember that Ike hired, uh, um, uh, I think what, what's the, what's the, what's that guy's name? The, the Serbian coach, um, uh, uh, Milojevic, Milojevic, the, 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 the uh, red star, the, the old red star coach, I think it was. And he's also a good coach. He's not a, he's yeah. not a bad coach either. And they made a couple of interesting moves. Uh, they, they brought in the Volos, the Volos center back, Yerasimus Mitoglu, 21 years old guys. Uh, and and well, they, he was pretty good. In, they brought in the MMA fighter. And they also brought JBS in the MMA fighter, Zavelas from Alanya Sport. I think they paid like 300K or something. Big fee. It's not, big a, bad fee for this guy. It's not a bad transfer. No, it's not. Flag. Look, Ike's defense was tragic last season. Uh, okay, Lombro. Uh, Lombro coming in here. I thought you were supposed to be sleeping, buddy. Anyway. And when Italy uh, wins, you do not sleep. Lombro's staying up all night, baby. Yeah, Ike has a huge <laughs> history of choking in finals like the English. You're not wrong. But look, at least they're, they're, addressing, they're addressing things that we, we've pointed out that, they've, that were lacking for them in the past. They had a good core. They're not losing most of the core, except for Oliveira, okay? They lost Oliveira. They lost Kristicic, the, the center midfielder, that uh, who now is at Red Star, by the way. But he was a solid midfielder to start off. But then things kind of, you know, uh, let, we'll, we'll say they didn't really work out. They had that winger, Daniele Verde, who they let go. Uh, or no, they didn't let go. They sold him for like 500K or something to an Italian team. Uh, but the moves they've made, you know, they picked up another defensive midfielder, uh, the French guy, Letalek, Letalesh, or however you say his name. Solid player from Montpellier. I not Definitely not a bad pickup. Uh, and then besides Savela Samitoglu, they got a new goalkeeper that they actually paid some money for. I mean, I, I think about a million euros, um, uh, Stankovic, uh, from Salzburg. Uh, I think, is it... Uh, but no, sorry, it was the Austrian Salzburg, not uh, uh, not in Ger not Germany. So a solid, solid, solid pickup for them. So Ike has made the moves where we we said in the past they should have been making the moves. Remember, they have a strong core. They have solid midfielders overall, right? St starting with Galanopoulos, they have good wingers. Uh, look, Albanese had great energy, especially towards the end of the season. Uh, Levi Garcia, arguably one of the best wingers in the league. If you know what I mean? Healthy. If, yeah. well, this is, that's another, and then Karim Manzarifard, a top finisher another as well. Good signing. Yeah. So they have a good core. They just needed to fix the defense uh, and then also get a new goalkeeper. So I think Ike has made some positive moves again, uh, even with Zavet, like they basically have a new, a new center back duel because they got rid of, they got rid of um, uh, what was that guy's name? Uh, 
Chigrinsky, I think. Well, they he still was have, ancient. Yeah, he was ancient. And so, but you know what? The one thing that I still think is kind of dumb that they, they got rid of Vasilatanopoulos and he's he's now at Atromidos. Mm. And he was like the only right back that was worth anything there. But for some reason. good transfer for Atromidos, we have to say. Yeah, that. I don't know. That, that's good a for him thing. as well. He's been like overall, loaned out made, to every like country in Europe by Ike for like the last 10 years. Yeah. He's finally got a team where he's probably going to be able to sit and play and, you know compete for the to stay up in Greece to get in that top six uh so good for him but yep. yeah I think I have done re- reasonably well once again it's the same boat as Pauk where it's like you're gearing up for conference league it looks like and you know I yep. I want to see something serious let's see it I not expecting a whole lot to be honest you know I'm expecting them to be more competitive with us probably going to be harder to go as long as we did without losing a game this year. We're probably not going to win the league by as many points, but we got to see it in Europe, man. And maybe we will. And, and it'll be great. I'm, I really don't, I know Lambro like tries really hard to care about the coefficient, but at the end of the day, he just hates Palk and Ike so much, which is completely fair. But like, honestly, if these, if these lot can beat a couple teams in Europe and, and do their thing in the conference league, like, this type of setup is, is made for, for teams like I can to, to pick up some coefficient points. So really uh, hopefully these moves translate into something I am ordering on optimistic, but we'll see the one I'm the one I'm not, I'm not going to go into Panathinaikos because they're not involved in a European competition. So I don't really care, even though there are rivals, but Adis is the one I'm worried about because Adis had done a team that, that competed and looked good. I mean, you know, they, their fans, as Lambro brought up, might be, you know, they're always they're, they always think that they should be competing and they should be doing something at least for the league. Uh, and they did. They had a nice core. Okay, they they in the beginning against they lost, they tumbled out of Europe against Koloskovalivka, which was disgusting and disgraceful, but they put it they started to put it together during the year. And the moves we're seeing from them, not so good. They brought in a new goalkeeper. Um, from uh, Portugal, uh, Denise or something like that. Um, I don't know anything about him. 34 years old. They brought in a right winger from Dynamo Zagreb, uh, who's almost 30 years old. Uh, he's he's got an interesting name. He's at I don't know nothing about him. He's at Hajrovich. Uh They up they promoted a couple kids from their from their academy. Some Greeks like to see because they didn't have too many Greeks playing for them last year. Martinis. He uh, they well, they signed Martinez, but I don't know if he's part of the first team. To be honest with you, I haven't. Again, we'll see more as time goes on. I don't pay attention to their tryouts, but I haven't seen mention of him almost anywhere. Um, then uh, there's some interesting that they sold Lindsey Rose, who was statistically with Y Scout was the best center back in Greece. Uh, remember, Lindsey Rose is a guy that doesn't do anything particularly well, but he does everything at least decent, which is why he he was he won that accolade through Y Scout. They also got rid of Datkovich, Tony Datkovich. Um, was played a, a good number of minutes for them. Twenty seven years old. They sold him for pennies to the U.S. They sold him to Real Salt Lake um in uh the MLS here. So Lindsay Rose, I think they sold for like five hundred and fifty thousand, something like that, to Portuguese to Portuguese, to a Polish club, Lego Warsaw. It's Robert um, Blackburn FC, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh but yeah, and uh so it's just it's just interesting because um uh actually no Tony Datkovich didn't play for them at all. He they loaned him to Cartagena. Yeah I think he, in I the second like division hearing his name. Yeah. But yeah, so, so I mean, Rose is like arguably one of the most integral players to their team up there with Bruno Gama. Yeah. Um, and he can play as a center back or a right back. We've seen him as both. He has a weird knack for scoring goals when he plays against yep. us, despite being a defender. Well, so, the big loss, the big loss for them is Zandis Silva because he, they mm, loaned him in. They brought him in from West Ham. Right. Loaned him in and that loans over. So they're is he not a free agent now though, or is just, he just going to. No, I think he's still. Uh, I think he's still on contract. I can probably pull they it up. Really, here. They should really try to extend him because he's like 24 years old. Surely West Ham don't really want anything with him anymore. He, so, Y Scout has him under contract until next summer at West Ham. Mm-hmm. So he's still under contract. 
they should try um, to get him for another year and then get him to stay permanently on a free. That's what I would yeah, do. Yeah, I, I mean, he was a he was a chance. solid player for them. So yeah, I mean, look, all in all, all in all, I think uh, I think that Ike and Balk have have gotten better, all things considered. Uh, now, if Balk loses, I don't think they're losing Solis. To be honest with you, I don't think he's going for especially for the money that they everyone there thinks they're getting. Um, I don't think he's going, I think he's going to be in Greece for one more season, which is good for them, but they also still need a new striker. Unless, unless I mean, is Olivera is going to do it for him. Probably. I think that's I probably mean, what they have in mind. Cause uh, the maybe I'm is, yeah. is gone. He's gone. Yeah. And he, yeah. he had said on social media, he wasn't going back. Yeah. Um, not that he didn't want to, but I, I, I guess he was just going back to his yeah. club. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. But so far, I think that they both side, both Ike and Falk have made improvements. Um, poor, uh, poor Asteras have been pillaged so far because even Kotsiras is gone. He's with uh, Jonathan Echos now, isn't he's, he? He's now at Jonathan Echos. That's a good sign. So, uh, yeah. I, you know, Asteras had a good run for a while. I thought maybe if they built on what they had, they could have been a team that competed for. Maybe a European spot, but I don't know if that's going to happen next Father year. Other time's going to catch up to old Barales eventually. I think the oh yeah, closing. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. That head is getting shinier and shinier though every year. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it should be interesting. Really, like I yeah. When you brought up Adis, I was like, besides Lindsay Rose going, I hadn't heard anything. So a yeah. bit worried about them. Really, you you think that they're going to build on that success and. Uh, well, there's still time in the transfer window, to be fair to him. But anyway, um, what is Vimo saying here? Adi. One pound fish? I have, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know what this is. So I, I'm assuming it's something to do with euros. But anyway, um, I think we're going to wrap up, Adi. I think we've we've pretty much covered it all. We spent mm-hmm. quite a. We spent more time talking about those other teams than we have in some time. Remember, we used to do like full breakdowns of like Ike versus um, Zoria Luhansk. Yeah. Alex Kutakos says heartbreaking. La Mia will finish above Asteras. Alex, our, I, our thoughts, our thoughts. I don't think it's that tragic, review, buddy. <laughs> I think they'll be all right. They probably I think you'll be mid table. Yeah. Solidly mid table. Probably. Uh, we'll, I mean, we'll see what happens, but uh, yeah, in the end, uh, that's, that's, we have literally hit everything, but before we close up, uh, cause I, I think it's the only thing we didn't talk about was, uh, I just feel terrible. Um, even though I wanted England to lose, I think it's better for the sport that they did. The one person I feel bad for is 19 year old Bukayo Saka. Doesn't feel bad for Costa at all. My God. <laughs> <laughs> no, the disrespect. I feel Costa, a little bad Costa cares Costa. more about Belgium than England. Costa <laughs> was literally the one putting like, it's coming home in the banner, like at the end of every episode. And I, I have. I'm just like, oh, I'm such a good person taking the high road and not putting an it's not coming home banner. Oh, God. No, I'm just I'm taking this. Anyway. No, you um, just put the Italian flag as your background. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, no, I feel bad for all three of them, to be honest. Like, and that's just I as much as I shit on like England as a team and want them to lose, like I genuinely don't hate most of the players. Like Rashford is a really good guy and like a nice, a nice dude, like really hard to hate. Sancho, like, seems like a fun guy. And they all like Rashford uh, was a bit tragic. We have to say just like with a little run up and then hitting the bar was not great, but, and Sancho and Saka getting saved, but yeah, Adi, you'll probably say it better than me, but yeah, poor Saka, man. Like I, I hope he can recover from that. Cause it's really tough to, to do that. Yeah, the, it really is. And also the, the social media stuff right after the game, the attacks against Rashford, like guys, just stop it's it's the daily mail it's literally like the daily mail writers like from the burner accounts like rashford we're gonna kill your family we hate you like the dude was relegated to the bench by gareth southgate literally thrown on the field just so he could take yeah that's what i'm thinking as well it's kind of hard to just walk on the pitch and yeah take a tournament altering penalty i don't think it's as easy as like oh marcus you're gonna shoot you're gonna take pens go go get out there I don't think it's as easy mentally or physically as like they're making it out to be. I understand like, you know, you sum them off, but like it's, it's a tough situation. Please. Like I, you know, damn well, people are going to send death threats to these poor kids houses and stuff. Like that shit can't be tolerated. Um, As much as I want England to lose, like 
it sucks to see it go out that way. I, in my, in my perfect world, it would have been Harry Kane missing the penalty. And then I could have, <laughs> another comment from Demo here. Good on the England fans to boo Chiesa for faking an injury as he limped off the field to get subbed. Yeah. I saw some people saying like Chiesa, there was nothing there. Like he flopped and he literally like couldn't walk and had to, yep. had to come off the pitch. Three lines have three yep. kittens take the PKs. Good leadership. So true. Sad. So true. But yeah, Saka especially, but yeah, they like loved, I said. They loved this... Sterling. Sterling. Sterling's only contribution was diving every time he got touched in the penalty area. He was area. diving all over the place. He, he tried to recreate the softest penalty I've ever seen against Denmark. But yeah, well, that's a different story. The tournament is over. I got what I wanted. Um, so I can't speak very much, right? Um Thank you, everybody, for listening, especially if you've made it this far. Uh, we'll be back soon. Uh, the Friendly is in a couple days, so we'll probably talk a little bit about that. And then we have the interview with Philip uh, next weekend, at probably a little bit earlier than this. But uh, we're really excited to hear from him about ODC. So uh, enjoy the rest of your week, everyone. Hopefully you can catch the Friendly, and uh, we'll see you very soon. You just listened to an episode of the Gate 7 International Podcast, a podcast connecting Olympiacos fans from Brussels to Tokyo, from Toronto to Geneva. We are four Olympiacos fans from every corner of the world, bringing you news and interviews of the team you love in English. With new episodes twice a week, you will never miss out on the latest updates and stories of the team you love. If you liked what you heard, make sure to follow us on social media at Gate7INTL Give us a subscribe on YouTube or even leave a review on all our podcast channels. Until next time, this is our team, our city, and our story. Trilos, he said. Stomialo, kati magiko.